Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, innovators, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship with my guests. Today's guest is the expert of ways of working. He helps leaders to change and nurture the culture. Jimmy shares his story from his leadership development inside the army and we explore leadership from different angles. We talk about leadership training, leadership culture and performance. Please welcome to the show Jimmy Burroughs. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great to have you. Looking forward um, to our conversation. But before we go into all the topics leadership, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today? Who am I? I am a jigsaw puzzle of pieces um, built over the last 20 odd years of career, um, which kicked off with a Uh, a moment of imposter syndrome as a new, brand new army officer in Iraq in Gulf War II, uh, suddenly realizing that I was joining the war in the second half of the war. And so I turned up as this fresh-faced, brand new, freshly qualified army officer uh, to meet all of these war-weary men. And I felt like a little boy and I had this moment of imposter syndrome. Um, But through the next kind of six, seven years, worked as an army officer and gradually built expertise around leadership and logistics and leading people to do relatively dangerous activities. And that culminated in a super exciting role looking after uh, about 110 soldiers who were responsible for the force protection of Kandahar province, uh, specifically a, a two-star general's headquarters, which was a multinational entity. So working with lots of different nations and learned lots of different cultures and all those things. I then retired from the military and did some, some world travels. And the, I guess the exciting part of that was, again, that cultural immersion and learning that different people work and think in different ways. So I had this opportunity to see Asian cultures, Indonesian cultures, and then Australasian cultures and realize that uh, there are different levers and different things that make different people tick. And that was fascinating to me. And then I moved into a more corporate career where over the course of about 12 years, I moved up the ranks of various HR roles and then operational leadership roles, GM roles, uh, which culminated in running an eight-figure business for an academic institution, essentially responsible for their international business. So anything overseas related, whether it be partnerships or um selling academic IP or attracting students onshore. Uh, I was responsible 
for that and had a team of about 40 people working with me in various different departments. All of those themes though were people uh, and I realized pretty quickly that people everywhere were burned out, were facing challenges, were stressed, uh, were struggling potentially with leadership, uh, whether it be their own leadership or their leader. And so when I decided to leave the corporate world in 2017 and set up what is now this business, I wanted to focus in on how do you help leaders do a better job? How do you help them to work with their teams to get a better outcome? And so I quickly realized that the, the key to all business performance, the key to all business results is people related. And so if you focus in on that, everything else happens. Yeah, can't agree more. I love this topic. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if, if we talk about leadership, so t taking a little bit uh, um, your story, being responsible for plus 100 soldiers, um, getting into that position, did you have kind of a formal leadership training or was it basically, hey, that's your new, new role, off you go? How was that? It's kind of a combination of both, actually. Uh, the start of your leadership career in the military as an officer is 12 months of intensive leadership training. So it's 44 weeks, seven days a week, 20 hours a day of intense development, which is all aspects of leadership. So you look at military leadership, you look at people leadership, you look at welfare, you look at holistic leadership, you look at historic leadership, and you take all of those pieces and they deliberately put you through stress scenarios to test those capabilities and build those muscles. Then subsequently as a leader, you go into what I would call an excellent mentoring program. So you have senior soldiers who mentor you as a junior officer, and you also have your boss who is mentoring you to grow capability for the future of your career. And then the third piece is, is what, if you're familiar with the 70-20-10 model, is the 70% part, which is the on-job experience. So they throw you curveballs. They'll throw you new experiences. And every 18 months to two years, you change jobs. So over the course of my six and a half, seven years in the military, I think I had like nine jobs. Um, I was lucky enough to be fast-tracked in some areas of promotion, so I got to experience varying different aspects more quickly, or just, oh, hey, can you go off and do this for six months and then come back? So each of those is like, you realize very quickly, you can't be an expert in anything. And as a leader, one of the big things you have to let go of is being expert and actually being the asker or the questioner, or we call it the iceberg leader. Yeah, I love that. I'm asking that because... I mean, you, you're, you're now, oh, you have worked in cooperation and working with corporations. What I often see <clears throat> with organizations that not all organizations have a structural leadership development like you explained right now. That sounds really like thought through and we kind of take care of the future leaders to put them into the position that they are ready, or let's say as ready as you can be when you get into a, a leadership role. In organizations, I've seen that, hey, this is the best person who is doing the job, like you said, the best expert, the best engineering running this project. And then, hey, because you're the best, you will get the leadership role. Off you go. How, 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 do, how do you see that from corporations you work with or from your corporate experience? 
I can come at that from a couple of different angles, so I'll unpack a couple. Um, what you've described is what we call the accidental leader. It's like, hey, you're really good at your job, now you lead people who are good at their jobs. Um, and we throw them in at the deep end. And often what we see is they don't get much support or development or training. And if you think about, if you're an engineer or an accountant or a, whatever it might be, a technical specialist, you've spent your career until that point developing those technical specialist skills. But then all of a sudden your job is actually to be a leader who's responsible for the people with the technical skills, but we don't give you that support. So that's one piece. The other piece that where I guess where our point of difference is with many leadership programs and many things that go on in the world is generally what happens is the leader gets sent off on a course for two days to three months to a year or whatever it might be and then they're essentially installed with leadership information and content and then they're expected to come back to their team translate that into a, a context that everybody can absorb and work with all while doing their day job, which is extremely busy, full of meetings and solving problems. And of course that doesn't work, right? So where we've come at it slightly differently is we said, well, hey, why don't we get in a room with you and your team and we'll have those conversations together about how we can perform better as a team, how we can work, how our ways of working essentially can be improved. And that takes the pressure off the leader to then be the, I've got all the answers, I know everything, I can solve all of this. And actually the leader becomes a participant connecting and building trust with their team members. And that gets a better degree of trust and connection with the, with the team members and their leader as well. So then the leader hasn't got this massive pressure. And instead of saying, I have to come up with the answers, they go into more of a context of what does everybody else think? Okay, now I'm going to make a decision based on what I've heard. Yeah. And I think it's so, so important to have the possibility as a leader to get into these situations where you kind of feel a safe environment. I, I just remember when I started in, in one of my first bigger leadership roles, I basically got exactly what you just said. I got a personal coach, which was an internal HR person who was guiding me and onboarding me into, into that role. And we did basically exercises with the team and then like gradually I took over these exercises and then was taking care of that going forward. But I think that's, I think a lot of organizations still miss that because they don't focus too much on the human part. They say, hey, we need to produce output or impact with the business we have, which means sales or whatever the business is, is about. So you need to speed up as quick as possible. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a challenge we need to, need to bring. Talking about this, how do you see um, the importance of a culture in, inside of an organization? It's probably the most critical element of that business's success. Um, whether you look at the material in the media around the great resignation, great regret or the great reorganization or whatever you want to call it. Um, if you don't look after your people, they're going to do one of two things, right? You either don't look after them because you actually don't care about them. And so they will go into what, several different responses, but essentially it's the sabotage response. Like you don't care about us, we don't care about you. So that could be, I'm going to leave the business. I'm going to do something negative in the business. I'm going to do something. I'm not going to give any discretionary effort. If you look at the flip side of that, people go in, if they do feel cared about, they do feel looked after, they do feel like somebody's invested in their development and their growth, 
all of a sudden they start to bloom like a flower. And so the discretionary effort comes, the problem solving goes up, the innovation goes up, the curiosity goes up. And all of those lead to the most important thing, which is the bottom line going up. So what we talk about in our opening sessions of the Ways of Working program is we want to start stop thinking about profit and performance and productivity. And we want to start thinking about people and purpose and potential. And so how do we put our people first? Why are we doing what we're doing? And can we get everybody else involved and on board with that? And what's the potential of our people that we can grow and develop? What's the potential of our products and services that we can grow and develop? Let's focus on that. And, and leaders become responsible for those three Ps, not the negative Ps, which it tends to be crack the whip, drive them harder, don't care about them, focus on the numbers. How do you explain that to a CFO? You show them the data. Um, let me use one statistic that um, will help. Um, there's a really great piece of research from Gallup that says if you uh, focus on improving the engagement of a team, their productivity, innovation, creativity, and the profit margin of that business will improve by 21%. Yeah. So, so it's basically the, the CFO, if he's or she's willing to do that, she can kind of calculate a return on invest fairly quickly. Right. It's like having an extra day added to your week exactly. for work. Yeah. Um, or what we see in most businesses is you stop wasting a day a week on pointless activities, on wasting time, on long you know, meetings that don't need to happen. Uh, and you add to get back to what you're actually capable of. Um, if you're already capable of 100%, we add an extra day to your week through productivity improvements. And, and we have statistics that we measure in our program. It's like how much time have you actually captured back? And normally in my program, people get about six to eight hours back in their week of useful time, um, which is a 25% lift or 21% lift. That's awesome. So from, from sticking still to the culture part, how difficult is it to change a culture? So let's imagine there's an organization which has a very top-down hierarchy way of, of working where basically everyone is afraid about the of the leaders and it's not really trying to do anything different. How would you take an organization like that into a different world, into a different paradigm? Great question. So coming at it from two, two levels, um, number one is we'll work with the leadership team, executive team, and we do a pre-program assessment. And that gives us a bit of a picture of the reality of what's going on in that business in terms of trust connection and performance. If we want to go deeper, we also have access to a series of leadership 360s, which give a really transparent picture. And the model we use is a great profile called the Leadership Circle Profile. It gives a really transparent picture to that leader of the behaviors and actions that they're taking that are serving them and the ones that potentially that they've been useful in the past, but they're not serving them now. And actually they could be detracting from that business's performance. So we, we start with data. Then we go into the compelling conversations part, which is the 21% improvement and the statistics that can be gained on the bottom line. So the financial imperative essentially for making a change. We also talk early on in the program around what would a great culture look like and what do we need to start shifting to move the dial here for us as a team. So it's getting that team to talk about it and that's done through a combination of self-paced 
survey kind of feedback materials, um, which we have in a, in a platform, and conversations in the room. So we want to get people talking and connecting and being open and vulnerable. So a lot of the job of the facilitators that we have is creating a culture in the room of let's share because it's good to share. And when people do start to share, cool, how are we going to do something with that? Yeah. So that really starts to hit at two levels. You've got data granularity of what's working for us. You've got commercial imperative and then you've got honest conversations. How, how do you work? So let's say you, you do this analysis, you, you, you find out, okay, these are the leaders which are existing. At least they have the position as a leader from an org chart perspective. What would you do and advice on when you find someone who's like, maybe that's not the right leader for this organization, or at least how this leader is leading right now is counterintuitive to where it should be? How, how would you take a situation like that? I think I would want to understand initially what support does that leader have to date that is driving and manifesting some of those behaviors. Because most people come to work with the intention of doing a good job, right? Yeah. Nobody goes to work going, all right, I'm going to screw this place, unless they're in sabotage mode. But we talked about that before. Um, but essentially, most people come to, job to, come to work to do a good job. So there must be a series of beliefs that are causing that leader to behave in a certain way. It could be that they believe that nobody cares about them. It could be that they believe that this is the best way of doing it. It could be that they believe all manner of things. So the coaching conversation is uncovering the beliefs, the stuff below the waterline, which is manifesting in the behaviors and actions that are counterproductive or counterintuitive to the culture of that business. Then it's to work with that leader either one-on-one -on -one or as part of the mentoring group to say, are there any alternative realities that you can entertain based on the beliefs you currently have that might make you switch those behaviors? And so what we call it are light bulb moments. It's where you have a conversation with that leader and say, let me present you with a, a different perspective or let's explore some alternative realities here. And they go, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. And then you go, cool, so what do you want to do with that? Oh, I'm going to change this. Great, so how would that work? Oh, it would be like this. Great, so shall I check back in in a couple of weeks and we'll see what the change looks like? And because they've gone through that little light bulb moment, they feel great about the change and they start to come along. So I'm painting a best, pace, a best uh, case scenario, right? I'm painting the, yeah. the leader who wants to change. What we also find in ways of working is that there are some leaders who don't go on and As a leadership team, when you're sitting at the top table, you're there responsible for defining the culture of the organization. And if there are leaders in the organization who don't want to match that culture, then it's about one of the other pieces of the program, which is tough conversations. And it's, uh, hey, it's let's. this is what we're seeing. How can we uh, work with you to shift this? And if we can't work with you to shift this, how can we support you to be somewhere where you would be better suited? And worst case, that means outside of the organization. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that is a worst case scenario, right? But it could yeah. be, maybe they're just not suited to being a leader. Maybe they're a technical specialist. Yeah. Um, maybe they're in the wrong team. Maybe there's a personality conflict with somebody that they're working with. So it's exploring all the options before you kick them out. Yeah. But if you do need to remove them from the culture because they're essentially sabotaging your culture, then it's how do you support them to move to the next thing most effectively? And this is one of the things we talk about a lot in, in our Tough Conversations module is 
it's not about me versus you. It's about, here's the problem. Let's sit together and look at that problem and work out how we can solve it together. So it isn't conflict, it's productive conversation. And we're taking the emotion and negativity out of it and saying, so this isn't working. What can we do about this together? Yeah, that's good. So when we talk about leadership, do, do you believe, or what is your thought on leadership can be learned or leaders are born? Both. <laughs> <laughs> there are, so by the time you're seven years old, you are imprinted with a series of neurological models that essentially drive your personality for the rest of your life. One of those models is what we would call nascent leadership. So do you have the beginnings of leadership capability in your personality? But leadership is also art. It's, so, it's something that if you practice it, a bit like getting fit, if you work out, you build muscle and you can do big challenges. Leadership is the same. If you practice the art of leadership, you build your leadership muscles and you're more capable of undertaking greater leadership challenges. So it's a combination, right? You have to have some nascent leadership capability, and most people do, most. But those who've had the opportunities through childhood, teenager, maybe through their college career, and then into their pro, uh, commercial careers, if they get those moments to practice, then that's where they start to step up. And as a leader in an organization, you can cultivate and create those people around you by being the one who lets people practice. And so if you're a leader who's super controlling and, and you know, has fingers in every pie and is answering every question and solving every problem, potentially you're taking away the opportunity for those who are coming up behind you to practice their art of leadership. And it could be the art of leadership is making a decision, uh, critical thinking, uh, working with other stakeholders, all those things are things you learn over time. And all that happens as you go through leadership is the stakes get raised. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, it's like I'm I'm now 40, 41 years old. Looking back, I mean, you, you always have good leaders and bad leaders most of the time if you change jobs. And I still remember the good ones. And that's exactly like you said, they have taken care of you. They have basically trained you inside of the job and have had conversations One thing is where they took the feedback for themselves, but as well gave feedback in a in a in a good way that you kind of grow up in in different ways. And that's I mean some people call that more mentorship, but if it's your direct like leader, it's kind of a mix between leadership and mentorship, which I think is super valuable if you have people in organizations who do that. I completely agree. And one of the phrases we talk about a lot with the the sponsorship group is you need to let your leaders graze their knees, not break their legs. And if you think about the, the idea of riding a bike, you know, when you were riding a bike or learning to skateboard or whatever it was, you learned by falling off the skateboard and going, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to try this way. And so as a leadership team, you need to let your people do the same thing. You need to let them graze their knees, make some mistakes, learn from those mistakes, and they perform better as a result. And that's not to say you throw them in at the deep end with no support and no anything. It's controlled scenarios and hence the experimentation um, yeah. methodology that we have through our, woven through our programs. 
how do you build in? I, I, I love this training aspect of kind of you're a leader and you need to train yourself to, to get better and kind of stay on top of your game. How do you build in or support organizations building in this feedback loop for a leader? Because that's often, I mean, to be honest, working in very, very large organization with plus 500,000 employees, like leaders don't want to get feedback because it's scary. It depends how feedback is couched, right? Uh, and it depends on the level of trust in the organization. So hence why our baseline module is trust, um, helping leaders to build a culture of trust, connection, and performance with their teams. And if you don't have trust, then feedback is seen as an attack. If you do have trust, feedback is seen as an optimization tool. So we want to initially create the trust amongst the team members to say, hey, I made a mistake, or hey, can you give me some feedback because I need to need to improve? And I trust that what you're giving me is with the best of intention for the performance and the connection of our team. So, so that's really important. Teaching people how to give feedback is an important one. And there's plenty of methodologies, right? I really love the methodology of, here's one thing I love that you did, keep doing more of that. Uh, and here's one thing that would make it even better huh. versus the poo sandwich or the... Um, you know, here's all the things I hated, change your lows, because people don't hear that. So if, there's the, if you couch things positively, here's something I loved, and here's something you could do that would make it even better, you start to create a more positive feedback culture, which generates trust, and so you get this self-fulfilling loop. I, I, yeah, I could go on for ages about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I, w I would like to get us into the performance discussion. Of course, in, in a business context, it's it's a lot about performance and kind of how do you get an organization to perform better a lot of organization talking about how can we grow how can we scale how can we do things how can we create more impact so when we talk about teams how do you support teams in kind of engaging with the performance topic and and of course then on a longer perspective improving that it's a really good question and if we Let's make a mental framework so we can think about where teams might sit. We have a three-column uh, framework for team performance. We have teams who are playing the game. So they are running around the football field, chasing the ball, hoping that nobody's going to score against them. And you can imagine the culture of that type of team, right? Pretty negative. Um, just get it done, shouting at each other, not accepting responsibility, maybe a leader who's telling everybody what to do. In the middle column of our performance model, we have teams who are winning the game. So they're really clear on everybody's role. They've got a team of high performers. The results of the team are consistently good because they're winning. Uh, they've got all of the basics in place. And so if you've got a team who wants to move from winning, sorry, from playing to winning, you need to know the leaders pull. And that's what our program is about. It's how do you move from playing to winning? The third column, which is the second half of our program, is how do you move from winning the game to changing the game? So all of a sudden, instead of playing the same game as everybody else, but being better than them, you change the landscape. You transform the market, you disrupt, you innovate, you do something completely different to what anybody else is doing. So our second level program is around how do you teach teams who are winning and help them be creative, innovative, and transformative. So they change the game and they they disrupt and dominate their markets. And again, all it is is knowing the, 
the, the modules or the conversations that need to happen to move from playing to winning or from winning to changing. Can, can you give a couple of examples on, let's say there's, there's a winning team, it, 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 it feels good, they're, they're producing good success. What are the maybe small examples that get them towards the changing? Yeah, great one. So the first one that I think probably pretty aligned to what you talk about is the concept of curiosity. Um, so we have a, a beautiful little model which talks about essentially the, the four stages of, or the four levels of curiosity. So we have people who are sitting in the level of certainty. I have to know everything for sure before I do anything. Then there's the level of caution, which is mm, I'm prepared to maybe dip my toe in the water, but not too much. So we're minimizing our upside, right, as a result. Then we go into curious. And when we realize that curiosity is good and what curiosity means in a corporate level is maybe an incubator or an innovation garage or some pilots which you try and make fail or some experimentation in certain areas of your product or service line, then that's where we have some real conversations about the power of curiosity. And then the fourth stage is carelessness. So you can go beyond being curious and go, oh, it doesn't matter, let's just do anything we want. Uh, let's see what happens. That's careless. That's not, not um, prudent business leadership. So what we work with with the teams who want to move from winning to changing is we start with the curiosity conversation. We say, well, where could we be more curious in our business? What things are potentially going really well that we could take from 10 to 20? And what things that are potentially holding us back or that we have to fight for every quarter, every year in our budget, could we just completely change up? Let's take one or two of those and do some controlled experiments for a period of time. Try and make them fail. Try and break them. Pressure test them. And then learn from that. So the second example I'll give you is what we call, we have a, a model which is called the Pearl model, Pearls of Wisdom. Uh, stands for planning, ex experimentation, assessment, reflection, and learning. And one of the big transcendent moments for teams is when they really absorb the lessons learned activity. So the lessons learned activity is made up of two pieces, reflection and preflection. Reflection is what went well, what didn't go well, what did we learn out of that? Preflection is how might we use it in the future uh, how can we also create clarity and certainty for if this happens in the future, this is what we're going to do about it? Because certainty and clarity are really important to people for high performance. So two small examples. If we're moving teams from winning to changing, we start talking about curiosity and we start talking about lessons learned and embedding those as ways of working into the business. Yeah, I love this because what, what, what I've seen over and over again, if, if you don't work with this curiosity angle, worst case, you, you're a winning team, but you do the same mistakes again. You, you, you repeat, it has worked and it's kind of, it still works, but it's not working as successful anymore and it's slowly declining. And that's mm -hmm. where you have companies which have been winning a long time kind of going down. If we take Nokia as one of the examples, which is famous, like they have been dominating the the mobile phone space when I was having my first, first mobile phone, I don't know, like in, in the 90s somewhere. And then today it's like, I don't know anyone in the whole world, in my world at least, who has a, a mobile phone and they have been dominating this space. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I think it that's... happens all the time. Exactly. It, it works, so let's keep doing it. And I think, I can't remember if it was Steve Jobs or um, it was one of, the, one of the big leaders of an organization who, I think it was Steve Jobs, who basically, there was a concern that when they did the iPhone, that it would cannibalize uh, iPod and, um, no, iPod sales. And then when they did the iPad, it would cannibalize iPhone sales. And his response was, well, if we don't cannibalize our own market, somebody else will. And yeah. so the curiosity concept that we bring for teams who want to move to that transformative level is what's going, as I said earlier, what's going well that we can take from 10 to 20 and what's not going well that we can, we can work on. But the going well is often strengths-based leadership, strengths-based performance. It's like do the things you're already good at better and it's easier than trying yeah. to fix the things you're not necessarily great at. Yeah, you, you, you basically trim the whole organization to work on efficiency which is not expanding the curiosity anymore. For me, yeah. all of these examples from an innovation perspective are leadership problems. What do you think about that? 100%, right? If you've got a culture of conservatism and only relying on data and not enabling people to, to grow because you're controlling them within the box that they operate in, then you're limiting the performance of your business. If, if leaders think of themselves like parents or farmers, you know, parents want their kids to grow up and be amazing, right? Explore their dreams, do cool things, fall off their bikes, fall out of trees, um, and become amazing people who fulfill their potential. Farmers want their fields to grow. And if, you, if you're a farmer and your crops aren't growing, is it the crop's fault? No. It's the conditions that the plant is operating in. And so what we encourage our leadership teams to do is to think of themselves either as a parent or as a farmer and to create an environment that allows people to flourish. And that isn't necessarily by constraining. Uh, one of the curiosity activities we've put into a couple of businesses has been the, it's like the Google 24 hours, you know, once a month or once a quarter, they get 24 hours to work on whatever they want that's going to help Google. And so we took that concept and we applied it over a, a, a workshop. So in four hours as a workshop, bring a problem that you think could help this team. We'll do a mini Dragon's Den pitch or Shark Tank pitch um, for the ideas. People can align themselves with your idea and we'll work on it for four hours. And at the end of the four hours, we'll take the best one and we'll put it into practice in the team. So we've essentially run the experimentation concept, but it shows the leaders how passionate, enthusiastic people are to get stuck into doing something that they want to help your business. They want to help it grow. They've got lots of good ideas. You just need to listen. Yeah, love that. It's a very, very good practical example. If we talk about leadership, if we go back to a very large corporation, you said you, you start kind of working with the executive leadership team. What, what are mechanisms? So because companies and people in big companies are busy and focused on whatever it, they're getting kind of taken into into their accountability stack, which is, hey, you need to drive sales and you need to provide these numbers to be successful. How do you work with the leadership um, around an accountability system that focuses on leadership? Because, I mean, I, I most of the organizations don't have a business plan where leadership is, is one of the main KPIs. At least I, I don't know too many, 
But how, how do you help companies to figure out that they keep their leadership team, specifically the executive leadership team, accountable? Yeah, I think it, well, it comes from two, two pieces. Often the leadership team avoids leadership because they don't necessarily have trust or confidence in their own leadership in a new context. And this is what we're seeing right now a lot of in the hybrid workplace. It's like we need everybody back in the office because actually when secretly the beliefs right down the bottom of the iceberg, we don't really think we're up to leading when people are at home. We don't know how to do that. So it's easier for us to bring everybody back and we'll dress it up as connection and efficiency and whatever. So we, we start challenging those beliefs with leadership teams around well, what is actually stopping you doing these things right now? What's stopping you enabling leadership as an, as an organizational initiative? We use the data, which we talked about earlier, right? We say, this is the perception of leadership in this business, and this is what great leadership looks like. This is what your people have told us what great leadership looks like. And, and there's a little bit of a disparity. So what could we do that would make that? What experiment could we potentially run that would make a difference? And... The other key piece is to really have HR at the table. Um, they are the internal champions for leadership teams. They're the, they're the human voice of the people of the business in the leadership table. And so businesses that don't have a, an HR contact that we can work with, it can be more challenging because you're looking for somebody around the leadership table who's got people top of mind, not profit top of mind. And if you're in a sales team, who are responsible for driving sales, most leaders tend to fixate on APIs. So they're in that profit, productivity, and performance zone, uh, which is playing the game. It's playing the game like everybody else is playing and trying not to lose. What we want to do is move people into the, what might happen if, and how might this look, and start to trigger some light bulbs. So I think this, I like this light bulb triggering. It's basically you, you kind of need to build a mirror where, where they can see themselves over time, like a feedback loop again, where they understand, oh, that's maybe not the right direction. And maybe HR can help them being the mirror or being part of that. And there's plenty of data points you can call on even before we come into a, at the team. If, you, if you're just wanting to do a self-diagnostic on your own or we get involved in, in the helping part, There's engagement surveys. There's looking at your turnover numbers. So how many of your people are leaving your business each year? How many of the people who join are gone by the end of one or by the end of two? Um, what percentage of your new hires are high performers? There's, so there's little things that you can look at immediately with around the leadership table that gives you a really strong indication of the culture and the leadership of your business and whether it's working for your people. And we can't forget that leadership teams are great, they need to lead, but the people are the ones that do the doing. And so as a leader, your role is to enable, we call it the iceberg leader, iceberg, the, the, the icebreaker, sorry, the icebreaker leader, the icebreaker at the start of a meeting is to make everybody feel at ease, right? And relax them, to, to warm them up. And the icebreaker ship breaks the ice so the boat can sail through. Well, We want leaders to be doing the same for their people. We want them to put at ease, allow them to do their best work and to sail through the ocean as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So looking at these numbers, looking at this data, realizing what's happening and potentially where the opportunities are. And if people want help with that, then they reach out to people like us. If they just want to look at the numbers, they can do that themselves.
Yeah, love that. You, you mentioned the hybrid working model where we are. And so just giving us context, we are now coming kind of coming out of a pandemic state, depending where we are in this world. But it's kind of we have been kind of forced to stay at home. A lot of organizations needed to reinvent themselves. And hey, there's a possibility to work in home. And a lot of organizations, I hear this quite a bit, are now saying forcing everyone back into the office. What do you see challenges with this and maybe as well opportunities in not doing that? Yeah, I wrote a blog on this a couple of weeks ago. And so it's, it's a fresh topic in my mind. The, the immediate decision to send everybody home and work from home was a trauma for people. It's, oh, I don't get to work with my friends anymore. Oh, so-and-so who I used to sit in a cubicle next to is now dead because of uh, COVID-related complications. Um, but all that, oh, and I have to try and maybe share the kitchen table with my partner because we only have a studio. People got through that. They learned, they grew, they developed new skills, they problem-solved. And now they've set themselves up where they quite like, quite like working from their home office. They enjoy the family time. They enjoy reprioritizing. And all of a sudden, the leaders who are saying, everybody back to the office, triggering another trauma response, which is, well, hold on, I, I, I quite like doing this. Now you're asking me to do that. I don't necessarily feel good about that. Where's the engagement and the consultation around that? The other piece is, and this is a conversation we have, is instead of making a unilateral decision, actually have a conversation with your people around where can you do the best work for our business? And how do we enable that? And how do you also fulfill your responsibilities to do the best work for, your, for our business? So it's not necessarily you work from home because you like working from home and you prefer to work between eight at night and three in the morning because that suits you best, because that doesn't fulfill your responsibilities for connection and stakeholder management and being involved in meetings. So how do we have a com an adult conversation around that? What, how do we enable you to do your best work? And how do you fulfill your responsibilities to do your best work? And how do we make that match up? And when we do those conversations, what we see is the resistance start to drop away. We, we, instead of seeing people traumatized, they're like, well, actually, yeah, maybe I could come in a couple of days a week. And actually, do you know what? It would be really useful if we met up once a week in a co-working space because I do want to connect about these three things I'm working on. Or do you know what? I personally find it easier for us to go a walk around the park and have a walking meeting versus me being on my phone trying to battle into traffic into town. So it's about thinking differently, being curious about what might work. Um, and what we often suggest is companies try a couple of different versions of that in different parts of the business and see what really works and then bed it in with consultation. Yeah. And maybe it's, Like you said, maybe it's not a one fits all. Maybe it is kind of a variety of different solutions, different ways of working, which makes the whole company more productive rather than saying, hey, everyone has to. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you wouldn't you wouldn't say to a customer now, this is the only way you can buy our thing. You have you like you can you can have it in these different colors, these different sizes. These are the different e-commerce routes you can do, or you can come to our shop if you want. Well, employees want the same thing now. Employees want a personal employee experience, and so as an employer, 
yeah, it's harder for you now. You have to think, instead of blanket ruling people, you have to think, well, what actually is going to be the best solution? The upside is the productivity and engagement lift, which is hitting the bottom line. Yeah. And I, th I think that goes back, at least in, in my understanding, to what you said is trust. As a leadership team, you trust that the people are doing their best in, in, in their job. So it's not about, hey, I want to not work at home because they have proven that they can work from home, I guess, at least over the last two years. It's more about how do you how do you build a completely new for me? It's like a new ecosystem, which is like, hey, you don't need to be in an office to be productive. You don't need to work in an office space to to work at all. You can basically work from everywhere in the whole world. And you're a good example and I'm a good example. And we can basically work from wherever we want. Exactly. It, it, and that's why we always start with trust, right? Yeah. And there's more to that trust conversation. There's the, do I as a leader trust you working from home that you're doing everything? And what's it going to require to get that trust in place? So what do we need to do between each other? Equally, it works the opposite way. So how do I, as an employee, trust that you as a leader have my best interests at heart and I'm not missing out on communications and I'm not missing out on opportunities because I'm working from home. How do I, as a new employee who joined the company during lockdown when everybody was working from home, build trust and connection with all of my colleagues? How do I, as a leader, have trust in my own leadership ability to know what I'm doing in these really complex scenarios that nobody's really ever encountered before? So there's lots of elements of trust that work around the hybrid workplace model, which we, which we talk about. Yeah. Go, going a bit more into a personal de development perspective, one of my theses is that if you have the possibility to develop, to develop personal and professionally in an organization as an employee, through, of course, the leadership you have, um, you will most likely stay longer in that organization compared to an organization where you don't have that possibility. How do you teach or work with leaders on helping people to grow, helping people to develop, if you do. Yeah, that's a great question. The, the middle module of our program, which is called Accelerate, is all, one of the key pieces for the leadership team is around what does a really great one-to-one -one conversation look like? So how do I talk about performance? How do I talk about development? How do I talk about aspirations? How do I talk about feedback? and giving them the tools to be able to do that effectively. Because if we bring it back down to the base layer again, essentially all of these things, you'll have heard me say a number of times, it's just about better conversations. So connecting at a human level. And when we have a conversation with an employee around, so where do you see your career going? And have you thought about what might be in front of you? And what else is going on in your world right now that potentially you want to improve because people don't come to work like a robot, they bring their whole personality to work, or we want them to bring their whole personality to work. You know, that's the whole efforts of DE and I. But we want people to bring all of them. So if they've got this aspiration to be a sports champion or you know, represent their local church group in national competition or whatever it might be that is their thing, as a leader, enabling their whole personality and enabling their whole aspiration through, well, 
let's look at the skills and experiences you're going to need to achieve that. And how can I support you to build those? And here's some ideas around maybe connecting you with some support mechanisms, coaches, mentors, training, conferences, on-job activities, secondments, projects, whatever it might be. Then you as an employee are going to go, oh, this leader cares about me. And I'm therefore more invested and I trust them a little bit more. And I can go to a deeper level of trust where maybe I'll start sharing the mistakes I'm making, some of my fears. And all of a sudden, the dynamic starts to change in the culture. So we start with a really basic tool, which is a three-page how to have a good one-to-one conversation. But you can see how it cascades through the organization really effectively. Yeah, and I mean, and of course, it goes back to building up trust through the conversation where you, you I mean, I have had the opportunity to work with world class leaders who have exactly done like you just said. And you feel like, especially when you have a first time experience like this, because I'm grown in construction, grown up in construction companies where, let's say, the, the leadership is slightly different, <laughs> at least at that time in the 90s. So when I've had first time a, a, a leader, which I define as a leader, for me, it was like, that can't be true. Am I, this person, it, it feels like this person truly cares about me and is listening what I'm saying. It's not just pretending to listen and saying, yeah, okay, now ne next topic. I mean, it's a huge yeah, difference. Some simple listening and basic coaching skills are core. Um, because yeah, how... Even if you, to any of the listeners who are, or what, or, or viewers who are listening, when you think about that moment where somebody actually listens and reflects what they've just heard and seems genuinely interested, how does that make you feel to the brusque, let's just get through the bullet points in this meeting and, and I don't really care what your input is? Think about the emotional charge that comes with those two different experiences and the beliefs that that triggers in you as an individual, as an, as an employee, when you're in one of those two contexts. And we see different chemical reactions in the brain, different hormonal um, reactions in, in the body. Uh, and on the outside, we see people becoming disengaged and leaving the business. Yeah. I would like to take us into the last part of the podcast episode, because honestly, we might talk about that afterwards. We, we, we maybe need to do a session too <laughs> <laughs> because I have so many questions still open. So last part is where I ask a couple of questions that are kind of connected, but not connected to the context. Um, if you can lead a project or be part of a project that is impacting every human being on earth, what project would you choose and why would you choose that project? Do you know, I was thinking about this question overnight, um, and one of the things I'm, um, I've really got invested in over the last couple of years is the idea of magic and shadows, or you could call it like talents and saboteurs. There's lots of different frames, but essentially it's like the stuff you're naturally amazing at and want to do more of, and the stuff that gets in the way and holds you back. And so I would love to work on a project around unleashing untapped potential. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who have enormous amounts of magic stored up inside them. And the saboteurs that they have are getting in the way of that happening. The saboteurs can be, oh, 
I'm not good enough or are they going to laugh at me anyway or I tried that before and it didn't work. Um, so if we could somehow lead this project to unleash untapped potential, just think of what that could do in your business. Just think what difference that could make to the world because there'll be people who really want to solve some incredible problems out there and really want to deal with some really massive issues but there's something holding them back. Uh, and as somebody who has gone through mental health journeys and has been through, you know, come back from a couple of war zones and seen some fairly gruesome things. I've got my fair share of saboteurs and they stop you. They get in the way of you showing this incredible light to the world. And it sounds really sort of spiritual and woo-woo, but actually just think of the commercial implications of it. Think of the environmental implications. Think of the humanitarian implications. It's, it's, it's pretty profound. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a very big one. Yeah, I mean, it's world changing. So, but you asked me if I could change the entire planet. Yeah, so. no, I love it. <laughs> happy, to, happy to work with you on that. Okay, cool. So what advice would you give to a young innovator and maybe in your case, a, a young leader who is just starting out? Oh, I like that one. Don't feel like it's your responsibility to have all the answers. Don't feel like you are the one who has to be the problem solver, the, the expert, the one who is the, the leading light. Instead, surround yourself with the best possible people you can find who are the smartest, most talented, most experienced, most capable, and ask them lots and lots and lots of questions. Because your job as a new leader is to make decisions. It's not to have the answers. So tap into the wealth of the experience around you and gather lots of viewpoints and then make your decision. The other thing I would recommend is when you become a leader, you are responsible for decision making. So when you are presented with a challenge, go to your leader with your decision and check in. I'm going to do this. This is why I'm going to do this. These are the things I've also considered. This is how I came to this conclusion. I'm just going to check with you before I pull the trigger. And over time, that builds trust and confidence between the two of you and connection between you and your leader. It also builds trust and connection between your ordinance, your employees, your team, whatever you're working with. Um, but it also builds trust and connection with your leadership capability because When you make mistakes, you learn. And when you have wins, you benefit. And as a result of that, it's a really important transcendent moment. So if you can step into that early in your leadership career, asking and testing, you're, you're onto a winner. What is a future-oriented topic that is kind of interested to you or you're interested in, in the moment? And that might be something related to what you do and maybe something completely unrelated. A future-oriented topic. I, I, most of the work that I do is digital or in-person workshops. So I'll either be in a room with you know, 20 to 30 people having a conversation with flip charts and post-it notes, or I'll be doing the digital equivalent of that. So one of the things I'm really excited about is the concept of the metaverse, uh, VR, AR. And often when I do a workshop, we'll have a mixture of digital and physical participants because maybe we've got most people in the central office, but a couple of outliers in different parts of the country or whatever. 
So working really hard on how we incorporate them so they don't have a, a lesser experience. So I'm paying lots of attention to how I can incorporate Metaverse AR, VR into the workshop experience to not level the playing field, but actually level everybody up in terms of new tools, new collaboration, things they can work with, and to give them a really, really deep connection. Last question. Where can people find you and how can people reach out to you? A couple of ways. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn. I post a regular weekly newsletter, which is me unpacking thoughts on various elements of the ways of working program or topical subjects in the market. Um, I have my website, jimmyburrows.com. Um, we're just in a process of a refresh, so it will be up in a couple of weeks, and I'm excited about that. Um, or just reach out on um, Instagram, jimmybleadership, and happy to have a conversation with, uh, on any topic or whatever stage of the journey you're at. There's always something we can offer that's going to help you move further along. Awesome. And of course, I will put the links as well into the show notes so people can straight away find it wherever you either listen to this or watch it on YouTube and somewhere else. Jimmy, awesome. thank you very much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for the opportunity and for the invitation. It's been, yeah, I, I love nerding out when it comes to this stuff. So <laughs> I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks for asking some such great questions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there. 